leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. And we are back with our leadership edition. This is Breaking Into Cyber 2.0, the leadership edition. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping amazing leaders hire great talent. My co-host is here, Chris Folon. Say hi to everybody. Hey, Monday, everyone. Happy Monday. And our special guest today is Chris Tanjez. Say hi to everybody, Chris. Good morning, everybody. So Chris Tanjez is the CIO at the Office of the Attorney General for the District of Columbia. So Washington, D.C.'s AG's office. This is the CIO who is doing amazing things over there in Washington, D.C. We absolutely appreciate all the work that you've been up to and you've been doing. And so we're going to kick it off first by having Chris kind of talk about his path to CIO and then we'll chime in and ask questions around what um, what you all need to do from a leadership perspective when Chris is looking for leaders, the types of things that he looks for in leaders. So Chris, take it away. Oh, thank you. Uh, and thank you, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so a little bit about myself, a really quick uh, autobiography. Um, I started out in life as a frustrated something else. I have a degree in English and I was a newspaper reporter for the first couple of years uh, of my career. Um, I realized pretty quickly that I would still be living in, at my mom's house in, in the basement if I'd stuck with that um, profession. So after a while, um, I became a technical writer. Um, and uh, after that, I went to work for IBM in upstate New York where I had to take an aptitude test um, uh, a programming aptitude test, and I scored really highly on that. Um, so that's how I started my career in in IT. Um, I became over time uh, a project manager, and my specialty was coming into something that was failing and fixing it. And I did that um, for many companies in the financial industry. I think I've worked in every Wall Street um, investment bank at one point. And I also worked overseas for a while, which was really great. Um, and when I came back, uh, that's when I got into government, the government world. And um, I kind of rose up from being a project manager to being a CIO. Uh, so, um, so my path um, is, is actually what I consider to be a good path. When I hire people, I usually hire people who are frustrated something else's. I have somebody who was a professional musician who's worked for me and she's really fantastic. She's a fantastic project manager. I have other people who started out um, with a liberal arts background and worked their way into uh, a, a computer science career. Most of those people are really, really great at what they do. 
um, I have a, a preference to hire people like that because they walk through the door with really good communication skills and also the ability to think really clearly and communicate with non-technical people. So that's really important. Um, with regard to security, I have been very fortunate twice in my career recently to originate and start significant cybersecurity programs. When I was the CIO for the city of Baltimore, the state of Maryland passed a law uh, decreeing that every county and every city have an IT security um, department, although the state wasn't going to give funding for it, but every, every large government entity in the state of Maryland must start a security program. So I, I uh, you know, using appropriated funds that were available to me, um, I prioritized setting up a security program, hired a CISO and a handful of analysts, and then uh, gradually began building out a program that focused on all the things that one would expect. Um, perimeter protection, patching, uh, security policies, um, uh, monitoring, things like that. Um, and then when I got here, I did the same thing. There was no defined security program within our agency. There was one for the DC government as a whole, but there was none within our agency. So I took somebody who worked for me um, who was really interested in security, got um, him trained. He got his CISSP, and he is now our CISO. He's about to become my deputy as a deputy CIO, and someday when I leave, he will take my place. He will actually be the CIO here. Um, and then within my existing staff, I have about 30 people here. I've taken a couple of people who are really interested in security, given them training and given them significant responsibilities um, around the things that one would expect a, a security group to do. Again, patching, um, being a liaison with the, with the city's overarching cybersecurity program, um, spending time in the Security Operations Monitoring Center, where all of our uh, infrastructure and all of our endpoints are monitored, and getting exposure to other people who do this. And, and in my, within my staff, there's a, there's a huge interest in security. Um, it's a path that people want to take. They want to move from being on the help desk or being a system engineer into security. And, and within this area, within Washington, D.C., demand has outstripped supply for the last five years. And I, and I don't think that's going to change. There's a huge demand for security personnel huge demand for, for people who are interested. The federal government um, continues to hire security people like crazy, uh, and so do big companies and big financial companies that are based here. So, so what do you do if you're somebody like me? Um, basically, we grow our own talent. We take people who work for us. We take people who are interested. We give them training. We expose them to other people who've done this before, and, and we build our own bench. And, Furthermore, I think in the future, I'm, I'm not convinced that the IT department of the future will have its own discrete cybersecurity department. I think it will be so embedded into everybody's core competencies that, um, that again, the security person who started as something else can go back to being something else with a heavy-duty security background. We're in the middle of two really big uh, system modernization projects. 
And we've architected security in, into that, into both of them, into our DevOps process. We've architected security into that. So, um, so it's a posture that we have. My part of my job here is evaluating risk and looking for bad things that can happen and trying to prevent them and staying aware of that. Our, our CISO is really good at that as well. Um, so in a nutshell, that's kind of that's kind of how we function here at the Attorney General's office in DC. Uh, and basically, in case anybody's curious, what we do here is a wide variety of legal things. We are the public law firm for for DC. DC is not a state, not a city, not a county, all three. Um, so, so we have some law enforcement responsibilities here. Uh, we also are the agency that makes sure that kids get child support payments. There's about 42,000 kids in DC that are currently getting child support and we um, handle that caseload and including all the processing and uh, any of the legal work that's required to go to court um, in order for kids to get child support. We also um, prosecute abuse cases and neglect cases and help out with adoptions. We have a very, very active consumer protection program here uh, that we do. And we also defend the district um, against lawsuits that uh, companies or people might file against it. So that's a very big part of what we do. So we do a, a wide variety of things here. And, and we have to be cognizant of many different security frameworks, HIPAA, FISMA, FERPA, um, and, and almost all of our systems, our cloud-based systems are FedRAMP compliant. So we, we have to have a knowledge and awareness of almost every single security framework that's used in the private sector and and the public sector. Right. That's important. That's really so. Chris, wow. Yeah, I mean, when I spoke to you about this, about and I know Chris is saying wow because we both are just in awe of all the work that's being done um, in this area. And before we get started, I, there's so many things that I want to kind of jump into here, but we typically shout some people out because they are here and they're already starting to ask questions. So we are live. Hello, everyone. Hey, uh, Abrima, Bryant, good morning. Ozzy, hello, Ozzy. These are all the people that come. Hey, Amani, he's here. Derek had some questions. He wanted to know, um, and I don't know which Chris this is for, <laughs> if it's the home office or the real office. He asked um, around which standards, um, I don't know what Rev5 more automated is. So not 100% sure about those questions. Um, but I, I think that comes to some of the oh, standards right, right, that right. Chris was talking about in regards to their maturity and the level of maturity that they have around um, accomplishing some of the up. standards. Quant is quantum something to be thought about from a cloud encry encryption standpoint? Chris, that yeah. yeah. Eventually, um, yes. Chris Evans says, hey. Hey, Chris. <laughs> so we have people from all around the world. Chris Evans, I think, is, I believe is in the UK. Um, and people are all around the world who come on our live and ask these questions. So Chris, I wanted to, there are so many things I want to unpack. First and foremost, I didn't know that you had that background, that you, you came up from, you know, having a, a, a liberal arts going into being a tech writer and then rising into the CIO space. And what you talked about in terms of 
bringing in people and hiring people that have these varying backgrounds, it's really, really interesting because people who grow their own, I hear about this a lot. And Chris and I talk about this a lot, bringing in people from, um, you know, that have a diversity of thought. So to your point about the communication skills of being able to translate tech into non-tech for people um, and all of that. And then um, what I'm really curious about is your CISO who's now being trained, how you, you know, brought, brought in and now being groomed to be deputy CIO and CIO. So talk to us about the leadership, like what you look for. So you, so he's now about, it, it's a, is it a man? I can't remember if you told me this. Yeah. So he, he's about to be, he's, you know, getting ready to be deputy. What did you look for when, you know, looking to hire someone like that, looking to groom people into these types of roles? Tell me about the types of, um, the types of skills and types of background that you look for um, when you're looking to promote and um, hire leaders. Yes. And uh, in both cases, when I hired a CISO, I kind of looked for, some of the same attributes. Um, you know, number one, I wanted somebody who was really passionate about security and uh, who could think about it in a strategic way. Um, number two, I wanted somebody who was somewhat like me and a little bit being a little bit paranoid and, and worrying a little bit about um, our, ex our potential exposure uh, to, to almost anything that could happen. Um, and then the third, the third part is I wanted some, I wanted somebody who had a really good, um, broad-based knowledge of, of two or three big domains. So what are those domains? One would be system engineering, infrastructure engineering. Um, the other would be software development. And then the third would be policy. So somebody with two out of three of, of those um, expertise in those domains, I thought would be a really good candidate to become a CISO. And then building on that would become a good candidate to become my deputy and uh, eventually succeed me when I go on to something else, um, whenever that might be. Uh, but, but it's important in a role like mine to make sure that that um, that you're not a single point of failure, so you have to think about who's going to succeed you. You have to give the person who's going to succeed you the appropriate grooming and tools, and if necessary, training, so that they can um, so that they can function in your stead. Um, and it's also really a really I value the fact that I've always had people. That I can bounce ideas off of. I am not the smartest person here. I am not the most technical person here. I'm just really good at managing things and really good at convincing people to give me money and really good at saying sorry to people if they don't get what they want. Um, so, so, so I am not, I am by no means the smartest person in my organization. And I look um, for people that are smarter than I am. I look for people that, that can advise me. And I look for people that can give me the information that I need to make good decisions. When it comes to security, we are, we are not our own entity. There's a governance uh, complexity here. And we are part of the DC government. DC government has 83 different agencies. There's a centralized technology office that has a um, what's called a citywide information security officer. 
that um, organization is constantly evolving and we work really hand in glove with them. Um, they set some policies that apply across the board throughout the entire district government. They're also responsible for protecting um, DC's voice and data networks, which are connected together. So, so what we're working on right now, and I don't know how many people on this um, webinar understand government security, the concept of FedRAMP, where you have to have authority to connect, we're working on something similar to that within the DC government, where each agency is going to have to go through a risk assessment. Each agency will have to um, prove that their posture is such that they can have full connectivity to the rest of the DC government. If you if you don't do this, then maybe you can get internet access, but nothing else. So so there's a lot of things that we do on our own, and then then there are things that we do with the DC government, and then we have our own systems that are specific to our agency and the data in those systems and those systems themselves have to be protected in unique ways. So, so when I hire people, um, both of my CISOs had to be able to think in complex ways about situations like ours. They both had to have really good communication skills. They also had to be, um, I don't want to use the word passionate, but they had to be really devoted to outstanding customer service. And, and what's outstanding customer service? In the, context, in the context of anything, it's being able to talk to other people, to answer a question, and not to make non-technical people feel like you're talking down to them. So that was really, really, really important for me. We have some help desk people who are really interested in security. And, and they're interested because they want to move up. Um, they'll get a raise, which is why most people go to work. But they're also just interested because it's an interesting time to learn about security and to be part of security. So, so not everybody on my help desk, I think, is a good candidate to move into security. But the ones who can think on their feet and the ones that have good communication skills, I can't teach people that. I can offer you technical training. I can offer you a pathway to get um, CISSM or CISSP or other certifications, but I can't teach you how to relate to other people, how to be part of a team, how to how to think critically, how to write, even even coherent emails. I can't I can't teach you how to do that. So if you have those skills and you're in any organization that I lead, then your, your path towards anything, and, and this includes security, um, is a viable one. And, and since we struggle with being able to hire security people, we have to grow our own. Yeah. And, that's how, and that's how we start. And, and those are the things that I look for, if that makes sense. No, that's fantastic. Chris, I know you had something. Yeah. For, from a from a soft skills point of view, that's a, a great summary of it. What about from, we, we talk about this all the time when it comes to minimum requirements and government definitely has set level of requirements for education, certifications, things like that. Um, does the DC government have liberty to choose those requirements or do, are they still compelled by like federal standards to meet those minimum requirements for cert and education? Um, it depends on, you know, I can't give a, a granular yes or no answer to that. 
I can tell you that uh, what I have had to do and what everybody here has done is we've written job descriptions for security engineers and for um, agency security officers like the one that I have and for other people that do security tasks, analysts, uh, and each of those position descriptions has different requirements. However, um, the minimum technical requirements for, for people that are going to do patching or for people that are going to work in the SOC or for people that are going to do security on our network infrastructure or in our data center, all of, all of those positions require um, several years of system or network engineering um, experience. Moving from the help desk into security is a little bit harder. It's not harder in uh, a smaller environment, but in a bigger environment, that can be a little bit harder. Um, the traditional way that people get into IT is they, they jump on the help desk and then they get a job working in the data center and then they do something else. They kind of go up an infrastructure path and that usually starts with the help desk. Um, it's different these days. It, it really is. So uh, again, what are you, what are you seeing? Like, how is it different nowadays? Because that's one of the things that comes up often. Chris, he started on the help desk. Many, many people here that that come, they they talk about you know being on the help desk or should they go to the help desk? So I'm really curious to hear from you as to what you've seen has changed and what people should be doing now. Before I jump into some of these other questions, what what. What we are doing here and what I've encouraged other large IT organizations to do is when you hire an entry level person that you put them on the help desk for a while because that gives them customer, ex customer exposure and it, it gives them the ability to give it gives them the basics. Uh, but then but then after um, six months, you move them to someplace else, move them into the data center move them into, if you have a discrete networking organization, move them into that, um, and then possibly move them into security to become SOC analysts where they're monitoring and doing other things. And that way, somebody has a really broad base of technical experience, and that, honestly, that, that makes them a better candidate for doing anything in IT, but it's hard to do that, and, and a lot of uh, large corporate organizations or governments um, Really, your ability to move is is based on your job description and on other things. So I don't think that there's anything wrong or limiting by starting one's career on the help desk. Um, I just think that that beyond the help desk, there's a whole set of, of domains and a whole set of activities that that I think it's important for people to be exposed to and to learn about the cloud. Um, managing managing infrastructure in the cloud, um, data, other things like that. So, so there's so much more to IT than there was when I started doing this. Many, 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 and I'm not going to say how many. <laughs> All right, Chris, we have a ton of questions here that are coming in. So I am going to pop them up. Carlos wants to know, my background is academic working as a communication specialist. Are certifications really necessary? If so, what certification would be baseline? Um, so I think that a lot of recruiters and a lot of um, a lot of managers like certifications because a certification means that you have 
uh, a set of um, knowledge and a, and a vocabulary that can be used um, that gives people comfort um, so that that they, that they know that you know the basics. So I, um, you know, start out with the start out with security plus or start out with CISSM or something like that. Um, security plus is the least expensive one to get. Um, CISSM is a good one. Um, but right now, because there's such a shortage of people, I, I think that with a cleverly worded resume and, and interest in other things, you could probably get around that to get an entry level security position. So, um, but, you know, if you had the wherewithal to, to ob obtain the entry level certificates, people would notice that. They would definitely. So Richard wants to know, and this is, an, you know, doubling down, what certifications must an applicant obtain to enter cybersecurity? How does the degree help? So you already answered the cert question. What about the degree? So, so I personally, um, first of all, degrees are not, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying anything that people haven't heard before. Degrees are not what they used to be. In right. terms a guarantee to success or a guarantee that you know things. They show that you can finish something, which is important. That's really important. Um, for me, like I said, my uh, my inclination is to look at somebody with a degree in liberal arts and talk to them um, and not exclude them from technical jobs because, again, we can, we can teach you technical things, but we, we can't really teach you how to think on your feet, how to communicate, how to relate to people. Um, so, but that, I think I may be unique in that. I'm not sure that other people have the same um, inclination when they're hiring people to look for, to look for people like that. Um, so if you have a degree that's an engineering degree or a math degree or a computer science degree, I think that that really bodes well um, to, to, to separate you from other candidates that are applying for it. And, and you guys can chime in on this because you probably, especially you and A, if you're a recruiter, you can chime in on this. But yeah. all of those, but those things would really get the attention of a hiring manager, especially somebody that had a, a fairly large security department. Oh yeah, absolutely. We see it. I mean, we've we've had conversations and tons of people come on um, on Thursdays. We have a series called CISO Thursdays, and we talk about the degree component all the time. And so, you know, different organizations have different requirements. So some of the larger ones, you do need a degree, but the CISOs pretty much are like, you know, if you have the experience and you have a cert or maybe not even a cert, depending. So it's very much um, aligned to different organizations. That's what we've seen. I, I've been, um, because, because the people on my help desk and some of the other staff members that I have are really interested in security, I've given them security-related tasks that they can do so that they have some exposure and some involvement in it. Now, I hope nobody leaves because I like my team. I don't want them to leave. But if, but if they were to decide to leave and they, um, they, they included or emphasized some of the security-related things we've given them to do on their resume, then I would think that somebody would look at them very carefully for any kind of a cybersecurity position. And we, that's something that we talk about all the time, the volunteer aspect of utilizing, you know, using your 
wherever you are, wherever you're sitting in whatever organization that you're in to be able to, you know, you on the other hand, you as a great leader, you're giving them the, the opportunity, but we tell them, go look for it, go chase it down, go to the CISOs, go to the security people and ask what you can do and how you can help and how you can volunteer and, you know, how you can be aligned to the security space. So it's great to hear that you're actually doing that um, on a consistent basis. So, Craig says, I love your succession planning view. How common do you think that is among your peers? And that's because you're setting up your deputy, your CISO to be a, you know, a deputy. Right. Um, so, uh, so I believe a really well-run organization can work just fine without the top leader. And every time I've had a leadership opportunity, one of the things that I wanted to um, set up was just that capability, just that ability of our organization. Um, so I have a medium-sized organization here right now of I think, I, I don't know the exact number, so don't hold that against me. I think I have about 38 people. So that's not, it's not tiny, it's not huge, but because of all the things that we do, I can't be a single point of failure. I cannot be a single point of failure. Um, so I have always thought that that's important my um, management here in this agency believe that that's important our hr department believes that that's important i think that varies depending on who you talk to and how large the organization is it doesn't cost me anything to designate uh, my my ciso as my deputy it doesn't that's, there's no cost to that at all um, so in my case it was just an organizational realignment and then also giving our very talented CISO um, some other responsibilities that are leadership related and strategy related. And, um, and, and I think that that's working out really well, uh, really well for us. That's fantastic. So um, Dr. Carlos Capel says, can you speak to an organization such as CISO, which is still being erected? I can't because I don't know what CISA is. So yeah. I, can't, I can't speak to that. So I apologize. Gotcha. So uh, for, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say just for some background, CISA is uh, part of DHS and they're there. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yes. That's sorry their infrastructure agency with the guy who just got fired. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, Krebs. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> so, so I will, I will tell you that they um, have had some interactions with the DC government, um, limited interactions where they've discovered potential attacks and potential vulnerabilities, and they've communicated to us uh, these things, and we've taken action on them. But they're not a huge part of what we do every day. Again, we're more like a state, um, so so they don't really have authority over us. But there there are other components. There are other component agencies of DHS that that everybody works with, and um, and all of us will be working really closely with them for the inauguration because that's always a a fraught time where all kinds of mischief can happen. I can imagine. So um, Lincoln chimes in, soft skills is an important element, which you talked about. Um, Derek wants to know, would remote be on the table at all for opportunities, like, for example, in your space or in the government as a whole? 
Um, so I could tell you right now, all of us, I'm, I'm in the office today because I live two miles away from the office. And if I'm ambitious, I can actually walk here. Uh, I'm in the office, um, but everybody right now who's working for us is working remotely uh, most of the time, and they will be for the foreseeable future. Um, we don't know when that's going to end. And one of the reasons why we don't know how that's going, why, when and how that's going to end is because we invested a tremendous amount of time and money making our workforce able to telework and work remotely successfully. So we have a rule in DC that you have to be within two hours of here. Um, I can't speak to everybody else's rules, but right now everybody's working. Even before the pandemic, I let people work remotely um, part of the time. So, you know, I think um, in most organizations now, it doesn't really matter where you can be very effective wherever you are in IT. Right. Yeah, we, I had I had heard um, or know of some people who were working uh, partial, like hybrid. So partial, you know, one or two days in the office, you know, or some days remote, some half and half, where the flex time, I know that a lot of the federal um, government offers, which is four days at like 10 hour week, 10 hour days for four days and all of those kind of flexible work arrangements. So. Right. We, ha we, we offered that before. We're going through a little bit of a process here where if you want to work permanently, remotely, um, we'll allow that um, as long as it's set up correctly. But in the case of IT, most of us have been working permanently, remotely since March 17th with no issues, um, no issues whatsoever um, when we have to communicate people with people in, or, in order to see them. We've got a multitude of tools, the same tools that everybody else has. Teams, Slack, WebEx, Zoom. We've got them all. <laughs> got everything. We got, we got everything because because people want to communicate with us using everything. So we have to have everything. Um, right. It's yes. not an impediment to, that's not an impediment. And for me, I've always tried really hard to give people the ability to work remotely. In Washington D.C., where we where I live and where we are based, right now there's not a lot of traffic because people aren't working in the office. But most most people in this area that are IT people live in the suburbs of Virginia, and some of them live quite far out. So in order to make it doable for them to have a work-life balance, we've always allowed people to work from home so that they don't have to spend two hours. Uh, I have a couple of people who work for me who live in Ashburn and one person who lives in Frederick. And those are those are hour long commutes. Um, so we try really hard to allow people to work from home when they need to, even before the pandemic. And I'm I'm pretty sure that at the end of this, most of my staff is going to be working remotely 100 percent. Yeah. Nice. Chris knows that commute. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah. live out in uh, Haymarket, so it's oh, quite yeah, yeah. A, quite yeah. a distance. Um, when it comes to managing your team remotely and onboarding new folks and going through security assessments, um, what's what's been the impact to the organization? Do you feel like it's slowed down um, efficiency, been able to keep up with the pace? What, what's your view on that? I think I think we've been able to keep up with the pace uh, pretty well. Right now, I have a. Um, I have a privacy and security project that I'm going to have to undertake, and that is going to be. I'm going to have to hire 
a consultant to help with that because that could be really hard for me to do because there's a um, there's a paper record component to that, and I'm perfectly perfectly set up to make whatever workstation data, uh, cloud contract changes that I have to make um, to comply with anything. Where it gets kind of tough is dealing with people taking pieces of paper home, or how they handle hand, how they handle other things, or how they handle their home office, and and we have had some instances where people do things that really are not within security policies or even within common sense. You know, if you're a prosecutor, probably not a good idea to take your OAG issued laptop into Starbucks and lose it. Um, If you're a prosecutor, probably not a great idea to take a picture of yourself semi-naked with your OAG laptop showing uh, email in the background. So a big part of, of what we have to do here is educating people and um, the, uh, and everybody being remotely does make that a little bit of a challenge. Onboarding new people, pretty easy. Um, not not hard at all. That, that we've, we've onboarded dozens of people during the pandemic and that's gone really smoothly. Managing my team, uh, we have team meetings fairly frequently. Um, you know, the two subordinate managers that I have manage their folks really, really, really closely. Um, I'm involved in the things I need to be involved in. I can't micromanage people because then I wouldn't be able to do the work that I have to do. I have to focus on only the work that I can do. Um, and, you know, I can do other work that other people can do, and I do, and I will, but I can't micromanage people. So, um, really, my management style and the way I manage people hasn't changed very much during the pandemic. It really hasn't. Just the way we have meetings and the kind of work assignments I've given the people and the cognizance that I've had to have about uh, safety and people's willingness to come in and work with other people. That's changed a little bit, but that's no different than anybody else during this time. Right. So more questions. And Chris, I want to make sure you're good on time. Because we're at the 37-minute mark, so you're good? Perfect. I'm good. Awesome. So the help desk, um, Ike says, the help desk I'm on doesn't move anyone. They will keep you there until you you either mess up and fire you or you leave. So you may want to try to apply to something that you have (laughs) over your group. um, So, I mean, I don't know what organization that you're a part of here and in the DC government as a whole, um, what always happens is we will try to hire the best possible people we can at the help desk. And after a while, after a year or two, a lot of them are very ambitious and they learn you know, how to function here and, and they learn things and, and people like them. And then they get opportunities to move up. And, and our preference always is to take people that we know and give them opportunities to move up. So, so my very hard nosed suggestion to you is that if that's not the case where you work, um, at some point, find a way to go someplace else where you'll be appreciated. I think that's very short sighted, even though the economy right now is not great. I've seen no indication whatsoever, none, that the job market for IT has cratered or and even if even when even during the last two or three recessions and again i'm old so i've lived through several of them 
Um, I, I have not seen a, a time where uh, it's hard to super hard to get a job. And, and I would tell you that to think positively about yourself because as a, as a hiring manager, as a leader, there aren't as many good people out there as you think. So if you know that you're a good person, somebody is going to appreciate you and somebody's going to snap you up and somebody's going to give you an opportunity to move up. Whoever, whoever oversees that help desk or whoever oversees IT in the organization that you are in is not really thinking appropriately about the staff. The staff is capital. The staff is important. The staff can be leveraged in a lot of different directions. And, and I hope that you find uh, a way to move up if you want to move up. And you know what, Chris, I'm so glad you said that because we talk to people here all the time and we talk about, you know, just being aware that the right opportunity is out there for you. And when it's not, you know, when you've done all you can in your current situation and that's not really working out, definitely look to, you know, move on and look at other opportunities as well. So Lincoln says, how about candidates who are able to demonstrate skills and interest in the field with home labs? Does that carry a lot of weight from your perspective of, of candidates? It does. Um, it does. Uh, one, because if you can prove to me that you're interested in something and you have the wherewithal to in, you know, invest time in yourself and learning stuff, that carries a lot of weight with me. It totally does. That's impressive. Yeah. And, and, and another thing we talk about all the time, like having those home labs. And when we talk about the passion, some of the things that you, some, some of the things that you, um, that you brought up and Jeremiah is saying great question because we hear this over and over again. So we talk about the volunteering, you know, looking within your own organization, trying to make a move. And then the home lab, if that makes sense, how impressive it looks to a leader like yourself. So. Yeah. I mean, I even do that at home myself. I took an old iPad that that was Wi-Fi only, and I put it in front of my front door, and I made sort of a homemade version of a ring doorbell <laughs> for myself. And then one one time when I was really bored, I decided to put a sensor underneath my couch water bowl to let me know when it needed to be refilled. So, uh, and then every time a new Raspberry Pi comes out, I buy it and I mess around with it. So, that kind of thing is important to me. I'll tell you what else will get my attention and many other CIOs feel the same way. If you are a gamer, if you're a gamer, then I'm going to be really interested in talking to you. Really. I actually just brought that up. Um, one of my students in my intro class, uh, they mentioned how they were a gamer. And I'm like, you'd be surprised that a lot of the hacking community comes out at a gaming community because they want to make mods, they want to find flaws in the design, they they want to do the things that they aren't supposed to do in the games, and that's a great way to right. start. Somebody who's your a skills. gamer um, is is good at solving problems. Somebody who's a gamer is usually has the capacity to be around other people. Um, someone who's a gamer and has a gaming laptop has probably maxed it out on stuff so they're interested so if you're a gamer i'm definitely going to be interested in talking to you <laughs> jeremiah said then i'm lost as to where i'm going wrong lol <laughs> he's clearly a gamer but it's funny that you said i think i'm going to take that little snippet and share it with all the moms that i know that are stressed out about their kids gaming all day long because 
I tell them all the time, like, you know, don't stress out about it. It is a good skill to have. So I think I'm going to snip that piece right there. Yeah. Um, okay, awesome. Other gamers are chiming in. Huge gamer here. So, um, Chris, we are we are at the 43-minute mark, and I know we were about to be, um, you know, I told you half an hour, but I anticipated a lot of questions. So I want to make sure that we wrap up. Uh, Chris Folon, do you want to have any final questions here before your usual final question? No, just my usual final question. Chris, if you had to wrap up all of the advice that you gave here into one piece of sage advice for someone looking to break into the industry and that you would hire, what would that be? Um, think about why you want to be in cybersecurity in a resume or any kind of conversation you have with a leader such as myself, make sure that you can articulate that really clearly. And if you, if you don't have formal or defined experience, map the other things that you've done to your interests and, and someone will pay attention to you. They, they really will. I would pay attention to you. That's awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. One more final comment here. Clearly, I now want my son to hear about the gaming piece. It's not just about playing, but hacking. Yes. All the parents can take a deep breath. <laughs> gaming is good. It's a good thing. So, folks, Chris, thank you so, so much for being here, for sharing your perspective. Um, you know, as I said before, many of our cybersecurity folks are now growing into leadership roles, the ones who are not in them. So it's great to hear from you about how to transition from a CISO or a cybersecurity leader into a deputy CIO and, and potentially a CIO. And, you know, what you look for when hiring and building these teams from scratch and looking from within, because that's something that I talk about probably every week um, that leaders looking from within really end up with really, really great talent um, and then can supplement that talent with, one, with a couple of folks from the external. But growing your own is, is a space that um, I'm pretty passionate about myself. So thank you again. Um, folks, all of you, all the, the extended audience here, as you know, we love you coming back, chiming in, providing all of your great questions and comments. Um, so definitely come back. We're going to have more folks like Chris coming on, more CIOs and CTOs talking about leadership. So excited to, to continue on with this. Chris, we will have to have you back. Tons of comments still coming. So um, thank you, everybody, and have a great day. And we'll see you later this week. Bye-bye. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.